Well, here we are in the uh, early part of summer. I know uh, if you're like me, sometimes when you get to this point, you just start thinking, because you're always, your mind is always a few weeks ahead, so, you know, you're already thinking that junior high should be dismissed, right? Yes, sorry, I forgot that. Junior high, grade six, seven, and eight, you are uh, dismissed, and you're good to go with uh, Pastor Lindsay this morning. I, uh, I almost forgot that. Um, you know, when you get to this point, you just kind of think, okay, well, summer is over, but, but it really isn't, but when your mind's down the road. So hopefully we can live in the moment a little bit over the next uh, few weeks and enjoy the last few uh, weeks of summer we have. And I know many in our congregation are still coming and going on vacation, and uh, so that's a great opportunity for them to get a break as well. Mark Batterson, in his book All In, begins his book by uh, talking about missionaries that set out uh, a century ago to go to some unknown lands. And he talks about how they packed their belongings in coffins instead of chests or crates or suitcases because they had no expectation or intention that they would ever return. And they understood the concept of total surrender. They understood the impact of living their lives in total trust and obedience. They were giving their lives away. And then Batterson asked this question. He said, when did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? When did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? The purpose of being a follower of Jesus is not simply to arrive safely and easily at death. The purpose of being a follower of Jesus is to live out the kingdom of God with trust and obedience for whatever amount of time God gives us, despite the hardships, despite the adversity that we are face in our lifetime. Today, we're going to reflect for a few moments on the life of Abraham, and we're going to talk about trust in adversity. Last week, I talked to you about integrity in adversity. This morning, I want to talk to you about trust in adversity. And we're going to be reminded today that uh, trust in God is evidenced in unwavering obedience to him, especially, especially in times of adversity. And so to fully appreciate Abraham's, Abraham's trust in adversity, we're going to consider his initial call his struggle with seeing the promise realized, and then, of course, we heard about on our scripture this morning, the ultimate test that he faced. And we're looking this morning at Genesis chapter 22. It's been read already. Thank you, Stelma. If you have your Bibles, you want to follow along, Genesis 22, 1 to 14. Uh, We'll look at that a little bit later this morning. We're going to start with Abraham's uh, call. Abraham's story starts abruptly. There's very few details given leading up to his story. It just just starts. There's no time given to character development at all. It's just you're right into the story. However, it doesn't take us long to discover the kind of person that Abraham was. It doesn't take us long to learn that he is willing to put his trust in God. God spoke to Abraham in an audible voice. And when he came to him in that initial time, it is the first of seven times in Genesis that God does this with Abraham, that he comes to him and speaks to him in an audible voice. And he asked him 
to set out on a journey to a new land. Now, having God speak to you in an audible voice is not an everyday occurrence. I want to let you know, I wish it was, because life would be so much simpler if you just got up in the morning and God just downloaded the agenda and you just lived it out, wouldn't it? You might think it might be a bit scary hearing the voice of God. I think that would happen too. But I think most of us need a little scare once in a while. Having God speak to you in an audible voice, well, that's not an uh, an everyday occurrence. But I think what's more unusual here is that we understand in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua reminds the Israelites that Abraham was an idol worshiper prior to his encounter with God. Abraham was not a worshiper of the one true God of Israel at this point in time when God speaks to him in the audible voice. God didn't choose Abraham because of his current trust in him or his faith in him or because he had proven himself over the years as a trusted servant of God. That's not how it went down. God focused on what would be, not on what was at that time. God obviously saw the potential in Abraham and the future for the things that he would accomplish. And so not only did Abraham ask, or God ask Abraham to leave his country, to leave his people, to leave his family or his, his clan, he made a promise to him. And he said, if you do it, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I will make your name great, and I will bless those who bless you. Now, he uses that word will many times And the word will leaves us with two realities. The first one is, it's absolute. It's absolute. It will happen. It's going to happen. And the second reality is, it's a future tense. It hasn't happened yet, but it will happen, and it will happen in the future, down the road. In fact, when you read the story of Abraham, he didn't get to see the full promise of God realized in his lifetime. And the reality is God's promise to Abraham is still being unfolded today. Abraham left his country, his people, his family, as God asked him to do. He took his wife, Sarah. He took his nephew, Lot, and Lot's family. He took his possessions, and he took his servants, and he set out. He set out to find a land he'd never seen. Promised by a God that up until now he had not previously known. That in itself, if we could just park there and reflect on that for a moment, we see how incredible this act of obedience and trust is. His directions were clear, his destination unknown, but God would tell him when he arrived. And I guess one of the most impressive parts of this is that Abraham is 75 years old when he set out on this journey of trust, his call. The second thing that we're going to deal with this morning is Abraham's struggle. It'd be easy if this was a, and they all lived happily ever after story, but it it really isn't. Abraham trusted God enough to leave everything behind because he trusted God's promise. And as long as the promise was attainable, as long as the promise was in view, Abraham's trust was strong. But suddenly, Abraham was faced with circumstances that caused him to be afraid. 
brought fear into his life. And consequently, where there was fear, doubt replaced his trust in God's promise. His fear caused him to take matters into his own hands. Desperate in his fear, trying to make the most of every difficult situation, taking matters into his own hands. We see in his story that there were three circumstances that caused him fear where he took control of things in his own hands. The first was in Egypt. A famine came on the land. Abraham had barely settled in when he had to leave for food. Because of the fertile Nile plain, Egypt had an abundance of food. So Abraham went there. He's familiar with the loose morals of the Egyptians, and and because of that, he's concerned about his beautiful wife, Sarah. I think if the truth be told, he's actually more concerned about himself. If the Egyptians desired Sarah and they wanted her for themselves, they would just kill him and take her away. So he says he's concerned for her, but I think he's more concerned for his own self-preservation. Instead of looking to God for help, Instead of trusting in the promises of God, instead of saying, hey, you promised me this, it's all going to be okay, he took things in his own hands. And so he met with Sarah and said, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We need to lie about our relationship. And I need you to start telling people that you're my sister. And so that's what they did. Well, immediately the Egyptian princes saw Sarah And they took her to bring to Pharaoh because she's so beautiful. And Pharaoh decided that he wanted Sarah for himself. Well, of course, God intervened and caused disease to fall on Pharaoh's house to protect Sarah. And Pharaoh discovered the reason for the disease outbreak and that it was Sarah and that they had been lied to. And so Pharaoh expelled them out of Egypt. The second example was Hagar. Ten years had passed since God made the promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. Ten years. The promise is made at age 75. It's ten years later and there's still no child. Sarah was unable to have children. Time was slipping by. If you're going to have children, you should at least have them in your late 70s, early 80s. Time is slipping by. The promise of God is in doubt. And so once again, Circumstances were creating doubt in the promises of God. There was fear that the promise wouldn't come to pass. And so perhaps, once again, they needed to help God with with the promise. And so there's a custom from their homeland, and Sarah suggests that, that this could be the answer to their dilemma. Because where they came from, a childless wife could provide a servant for her children to bear a child in her place. And the child that was born to the servant, as a result, would be considered the wife's child, not the servant's. This is the original Handmaid's Tale, right here. Not the servant's, but it would belong to her. And so Sarah offered Abraham her Egyptian slave, Hagar. And he readily accepted, and Hagar conceived. But Hagar, we're told, turned on Sarah showing her disrespect, and as a result, Sarah became bitter and abusive to Hagar. The point is, this was not God's plan. 
It was, a, it was a result of their lack of trust. It was a result of their fear. It was a result of them trying to take control of the promise of God, and they lost sight of trust. The final example was Abimelech. Abraham ended up moving the location of his tent close to the Philistine territory. Once again, he's afraid of King Abimelech because like the Egyptians, the Philippines too were known for their lust. So again, he lied about Sarah because of fear. And God once again had to intervene and appear before the king to protect them. By lacking trust in the promises of God in the midst of adversity, they lived by a dangerous motto. Abraham believed that the end justified the means. He did inappropriate things to protect God's promise. Certainly this was okay since the promise was at stake. But the truth is, it wasn't his place to protect God's promise. The promise was God's promise. It was God's to protect, not Abraham's. And so Abraham struggled to have trust instead of fear in the midst of adversity. Then we get to our scripture for today, Abraham's test. Finally, the day came when God allowed Sarah to become pregnant and Isaac was born. You can imagine the joy, their own child, the fulfillment of the promise of God. And in that moment when they looked at that little child, it was worth the long wait. All of the things they had been through, all of the challenges, it had been worth it. But there was more to the promise than just having a son. In order for God to fulfill the promise to Abraham, some changes were needed in his life. Abraham needed to learn complete trust in God, even in adversity. We know that as we read scripture and reflect on our own lives, God brings change in a person's life most often through the testing of faith and character. And so we're told God tested Abraham. Now what I want you to note about that is this. God knew it was a test. Abraham did not. Abraham didn't know it was a test. And so God hit Abraham with the unthinkable. And he came to him and spoke to him and said, I want you to sacrifice Isaac on an altar on Mount Moriah. Now, I want you, if you have your Bible open, I want you to look at the sentence. He says, like God doesn't just say, I want you to, to sacrifice Isaac. <laughs> he says, I want you to sacrifice your son, comma, your only son, comma, <laughs> whom you love, dash, Isaac, <laughs> God is, is getting real specific. God knows what he's asking here. God knows the significance of what he's asking. And I find this to be interesting foreshadowing, which is another sermon for another time. But God is not asking Abraham to do something that he himself was not willing to do. That was just for free. Don't get sidetracked on that right now. And I want you to note the responses to this request. 
Abraham. Without telling anyone, Abraham decided that he was going to do what God had asked him to do. Plans were made to get up early in the morning, gather all the supplies that were needed, and go to Mount Moriah. The morning came. Supplies were gathered. Two servants were rounded up. And off with Isaac and Abraham they went. We're not told about Abraham's thoughts or emotions along the way. But you can feel the heaviness in the passage as you read it. They traveled until they came to the foot of the mountain. At which point Abraham said to his servants, I want you to stay here while I have Isaac and I go to offer up the sacrifice. Now I want you to see this as well. An interesting statement he's, he makes to them. He says, okay, you stay here. We're going to go offer the sacrifice. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Hmm. Is he lying? I mean, how can you say, listen, I'm going to go over here, kill my son, I'll be right back. Is he lying? Is he covering it up? I'm going to give Abraham the benefit of the doubt. I believe that Abraham is willing to trust God with this unthinkable situation and is willing to go to distance in trust if he has to. Yet I believe that in his heart, he's expecting that God is going to somehow work this out. Because even again, when he answers Isaac, you know, where's the lamb, dad? God will provide. Is he lying? No. I don't think he is. We Last week when we talked about the three Hebrew young men in the fiery furnace, that even if trust that we know our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we'll still serve him and not bow down. I think you see another example of it here. I will offer my son. I believe that God will provide an option, but even if he doesn't, I am willing to trust him with what's most important to me. And so he and Isaac made their way up the mountain towards the place of sacrifice. Once they arrived, they built the altar, arranged the wood, and then he tied Isaac up. This is a great children's story. And placed him on the altar. This story makes me really uncomfortable. Does this story make you uncomfortable? Like sometimes we read these stories and yeah, yeah, you know, you know, all those people drowned and Noah was saved. Yeah, blah, 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 children's stories. These are uncomfortable stories. They just are. Tied Isaac up. Yay. Place them on the altar. Second, Isaac's response. We often imagine Isaac as a little boy. And I would suggest to you that this is not the case. The word used for lad is a term to describe a child anywhere from infancy up to 17 years of age. In fact, the language in this passage used to refer to the two servants is the same exact word as lad that is referred to as Isaac. Isaac was old enough and strong enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice up the mountain. He's old enough to notice that they had wood and hot coals, but no lamb, and asked why. Isaac was old enough and strong enough to resist his 85 or so year old father if he desired to do so. I would suggest that he allowed his dad to tie him up and place him on the altar. In fact, 
if for fun and you want to fill your time, if you want to read some Jewish literature, you will notice that a lot, a great deal of Jewish literature describes this event with Isaac putting himself on the altar. A willing sacrifice. We're not told if Abraham told Isaac what God had asked him to do. We don't know what the conversation is going up the mountain. Perhaps he told him, you know what, Isaac? We're here now. Let me tell you what God said. We don't know. But what we do know is this strapping young man is somehow tied up and on the altar and ready to be sacrificed. And then we see God's response. Isaac is bound on the altar. Abraham is drawn and raised his knife. And just he's about, as he's about to bring it down, the angel of the Lord spoke to him and told him to stop. Abraham had passed the test. He was willing to trust God. He was willing to do exactly what God asked, even though it was so painful. And the messenger said, now I know that you fear, you fear God because you have not withheld what is most valuable to you. By being willing to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham showed his trust in God in the midst of adversity. He'd failed many times before, but today he passed the test. There was a ram, coincidentally, in the thicket. And Abraham retrieved it, and they offered it up to God together. And Abraham called the place Jehovah-Jireh. God will provide. It's been a long journey to reach this reality for Abraham, that God could be trusted even in adversity, even when things look opposite to what God had promised. And so, what can we find for ourselves here today? The first thing I want us to look and consider is testing. Testing whether we like it or not, whether we prefer it or not, is a big and important part of God's plan for his people. In fact, sorry, if there are no tests, there will be no testimony. If there are no tests, there will be no testimony. Our lives and our character are forged in the fires of adversity and testing. Any testimony that holds any value flows from the deepest, most painful moments of our lives. Now, there are two reasons given for tests. First, tests are an opportunity for God to prove himself to us. Testing brings the assurance and shows us the assurance of God. But secondly, tests are an opportunity for us to prove ourselves to God. That what we say, what we confess, what we, we, you know, we, we hold as important, that we verbalize with our lips, there will become moments where that will be tested and we will have to live out what we say we believe. And tests push us to that corner. For God to fulfill some of the promises that he has made to us, there will likely need to be some changes 
in us. And you know, human nature is such that deep-rooted change is not our favorite thing. Often we're our own greatest hindrances to what God wants to do in us and what God wants to do through us because we try to avoid the process and the pain of the test. It's too hard. It's, it's too painful. I would rather avoid the test and stay as I am. Even though we don't like testing, God uses adversity to accomplish his purposes in us. And so our responsibility in the midst of painful trials is to allow God to do what he wants to do in us. We've come to the place where we you know, we have to come to that place where we see every adversity as an opportunity for growth and an opportunity for change for the better to happen in our lives. We have to come to the place where we give God all the painful moments of our lives, all of it, and allow him to bring something good and meaningful out of it. We have to give God what we regret. We have to give God what we resent. We have to give God what we fear and let him do what he does best with all of that is bring something good out of it in our lives. I mean, the truth is that God loves us too much to leave us where we are. He has too much for us to allow us to fall short and not be pushed so that we grow and we change and we learn and we form into what he wants us to do. Testing. The second is delay. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it again. There are many promises in Scripture that apply to all of us. All believers, all people, all followers of Jesus. Those are promises for everyone. They're rooted in the very character of God and they flow to those people who's put their trust in him. They are promises for God's people. There are other promises that God makes to us as individuals, to individual situations. And these promises are unique to us. And God's, they're unique to God's plan, for God's plan to work in our individual lives, in our families, in our church. There are promises for you. There are promises for your family. There are promises for our church that are unique to us. Consistent, but unique. And sometimes it seems that God is slow in keeping his promises. I like it when God is quick to keep his promises. God disagrees. Things appear at times different than we expected. This is what we imagined, and this is what is, and we begin to wonder if perhaps we should do something, you know, to help things along. And so we fall into the trap like Abraham of believing that, well, the end somehow justifies the means, and we begin to take things into our own hands with good intentions, and we try to make things happen, or we try to not make certain things happen. I want to remind us this morning that it's not our place to protect the promises of God. The promises of God are God's. Our responsibility is trust. In some ways, that's liberating. I don't have to be responsible 
for God's end of this commitment. I just had to be responsible for mine. Just trust. How can we trust God when the promises he makes are either delayed or will not be seen by us even in our lifetime? Because that's hard too. Believing that somewhere down the road it might happen, but it would sure be nice to see it for ourselves, wouldn't it? We, meet, we need to make God, I believe the answer to that is that we need to make God the focus of our trust and not the promises that he's made. Sometimes we're so fixated on his promises that we're not fixated on him. Sometimes we're so involved in worship that we lose sight of the one we're worshiping. Sometimes we are so enjoying a presentation of a sermon that we're not hearing what's being said. And sometimes we're so caught up in the promises of God that we lose sight of God. We need to make God the focus of our trust, not the promises that he made to us. Because when God becomes the focus of our trust, not the things he promised, then it's easier to keep going with our trust in him. Because it's not based on our timing or our ways, but it's trusting him and his character and his commitment to us. When we really learn to trust God, when we learn to do what he wants, where we, when we learn to go where he says and sacrifice what he asks, we'll see the promises of God realized in his way and in his time. Thirdly, willingness. The many steps to Mount Moriah, three days worth. Sometimes when I read that, I wonder, was it really a three-day journey or did it just take three days because he wasn't in a hurry to get there? Again, not to distract you, but I thought it was an interesting thought. Three days journey. Showed Abraham, showed that Abraham was willing to trust God. But the defining point, the point that removed any doubt of Abraham's trust was when he raised the knife. Not the journey, not the walk up the mountain, not the words he expressed that were confident and strong, but the moment he raised the knife. It was at this moment that Abraham demonstrated that he was willing to trust God and sacrifice what was most precious to him. It was this moment that defined Abraham as a man who understood the concept of trust. And so what is God asking us to give to him today? What's he asking us to lay on that metaphorical altar this morning? Is it our dreams? Our career? Our plans? Our education? The position we hold? The salary we make? The lifestyle we live? the sin that has contaminated us, the attitude that consumes us, our relationships with other people, our family, our history, our hurts, our broken heart. What is it that God is saying, I want you to lay that before me and give it to me so that it leaves your ownership and becomes my ownership? What is God asking you and I to lay on the altar this morning? Because the truth is this, 
God cannot give back to you what you're not willing to give up. God cannot give back to you what you're not willing to give up. It's only when we lay our lives down in trust will we find life again. Jesus said, only when you give your life away will you find it. God can't give back to you what you're holding on to and won't let go of and refuse to submit and give to him. Willingness. And finally, adversity. The harder you have to work for something, the longer you have to wait for something, the harder it is to give it up. Isaac was a lifelong dream. And that lifelong dream was realized at an old age. The birth of Isaac was the focal point of this family. It was the focal point of their marriage. It was, it was the central focal point of the promise of God. Everything in their relationship with each other and God centered around this boy. Deciding to lay him on the altar was without doubt the most painful moment of Abraham's life. Being willing to sacrifice everything is difficult. It's painful. It's not done on a whim. It's not done in response to an emotional reflex. It's a big deal. It carries consequences that, that must be considered. It changes our life direction. It impacts other people. Trust is not about what's easy or hard. It's about being willing to find true life by laying your life down. But the truth is, the more God blesses you, the harder it is to keep God's blessing from becoming an idol in our lives. And a good example of that from Scripture is we, when we read about who we now know as Satan or the devil or the deceiver or, you know, when he was Lucifer and Scripture gives us a few details, a bit of a window into that scenario and we understand that he's created by God a most beautiful creation, gifted in the area of, of worship of God. And as we look at Scripture, we see there is great pride in in him for how he was created and how God had gifted him. And, and that blessing of God and that gift of God was his downfall, where he said, I will be like God. And the lesson, one of the lessons that we learn from that is this, when God blesses us, when God gives gifts to us, whatever is not used for praise is used for pride. Whatever is not given back to him is kept for ourselves and it becomes about me. And so the question is, can God trust us? Can God trust us to be good stewards of his blessing in our lives? Or are we going to keep it for ourselves? Are we willing to lay our gifts our training, our experience, our time, our finances on the altar in surrender and sacrifice.
It's not easy to do. I'm not here to suggest that this is a simple matter. It's not easy to do. The the longer you work, the harder you work, the longer you wait, the more he blesses you, the harder it becomes to lay it down. I'm going to invite Tyler and the worship team to come back as we wrap up this, this morning. The truth for many of us is this. We have become people we never intended to become. We look at where we are in life and we thought, I never intended to be here. I never intended to be this. I never intended this to be my life. This is not what I, where I set out to go. This is not where I set out to be. That somewhere along the way, maybe because we took some things in our own hands, maybe because we chose the comfortable over the daring trust, and we ended up somewhere different than where we are from a spiritual standpoint. When we look back on our lives, we never thought we would be where we are. It's so much less than what we thought we would have and where we would be. Somewhere along the way, we lost our way. And so my prayer for all of us here this morning is to rediscover the promises of God the general promises of God for all of us, but the promises of God that you knew that were specific for your life that you just lost sight of or buried away along the way. To begin to really trust God even in times of adversity and to allow God to shape us through the testing. I pray this morning that all of us will be willing to lay everything, everything fresh on the altar and say, God, I want to use whatever years we have left, whatever I have left, I want to use it to make a difference. I want to do what you put me here to do. I want to be who you put me here to be. I want to accomplish what you want to accomplish through my life. That it's not too late Now, I know for many of you, you're going through some painful struggles right now. And those painful struggles dominate your thoughts and your emotions. They impact your decisions and your priorities. But by considering the life of Abraham this morning, let's be reminded that trust in God is evidenced in unwavering obedience to him, especially in times of adversity. Would you stand with me this morning? Tyler and the worship team are going to lead us. We're going to circle back to a song that Tyler led earlier. And as we do that this morning, I'm going to invite any members of our prayer team that are here, if you would if you'd make your way to the front to be available to pray with those who might want to be prayed for. And if you want someone to pray with you this morning, it for whatever the need might be in your life, then we'd be honored to do that. But as we worship and reflect this morning, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit 
would talk specifically to you, to you, that you would reflect in your own life, meditate on your own reality, and hear what God by his spirit is saying to you this morning. Because God has so much more for you. God has so much more for you. Don't let that slip away. Lord, our prayer this morning is that these words that we just sung be accepted as our prayer before you. Our commitment and our declaration. Lord, we thank you that you're not finished with us yet. Maybe we've detoured, maybe we've made less of our opportunity than we should have. But we know that you're not finished writing our story yet. That you're like the father in the prodigal son that every day you strain down the road see if this is the day that we come to you and lay everything before you. Lord, I pray for your peace and your wisdom and your strength in our lives. Lord, I pray for that sense of loss that we sometimes feel that maybe it's too late, maybe too much has been done or too little has been done or time has gotten away and that sense of loss tends to paralyze us to the future. Would you help us today to throw that aside and to live in the freedom of your call and plan and promises in our lives? Lord, for those who right now are in the midst of adversity, their trust is being tested. Their focus is being challenged. Would you be their comfort and their strength? Would you heal broken hearts? Would you allow us to hear your voice in the midst of the noise? Would you allow us to see you in the midst of the fog? Would you help us to feel your presence in the midst of the numbness? That we could be still and know that you are God. Lord, I pray that for every one of us in this room this morning. And Lord, as we leave this place, may we leave with a sense of hope. There's still more. You're not done yet. And it's not just for the person standing next to me. There's still more for me. For me. May we leave this place today with that hope embedded in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.